Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Why, hello everyone. Can you believe it's Monday again? Yikes, what is time? Anyway, I am super excited today for you to meet the author that we have on. For all of my frequent listeners, you know that I have a werewolf pack set in Sedona, and I tell everyone that they have to go to Sedona. And today we have Amina Akhtar, who is here, who has a brand new thriller set in Sedona. What? So, of course, I had to have her on, right? I can't wait for you guys to meet her. She is really fantastic. So if you have not read the book yet, Kismet, um, you're in for a treat. I'm just going to read her bio here really quick so you can get to know her, and then we will have her on, and we will gush about Sedona. Anyway, (laughs) Amna Akhtar is a former fashion writer and editor. Her satirical first novel, Fashion Victim, drew rave reviews and acclaim and was covered in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Martha Stewart Living, Entertainment Weekly, Fashionista, Book Riot, Crime Reads, and more. Her new book, Kismet, takes on the world of wellness and all the crystals that go with it. This Own Voices novel is set in Sedona, Arizona, where nature is just as much character as anyone else. She has worked at Vogue, Elle, and New York Times and the New York Magazine, where she was the founding editor of the women's blog, The Cut. She's written for numerous publications, including Yahoo Style, Fashionista, Exo uh, Jane, Refinery29, Billboard, and more. She currently lives not too far from Sedona, so I am super jealous, guys, from the Vortexes, and Kismet is her second novel. I did put a link to her website right there on the Blog Talk site, so if you're listening live or if you're listening later, you can click that anytime and go take a look at what she has coming up, and without any further delay, are you there, Amina? I am. Thanks for having me, Lisa. I'm really excited to talk with you. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to read your book. I've been reading (laughs) about the book, and I'm very excited. So can you tell everybody about it, why they should go pre-order? It comes out for real uh, next month, right? No, no, no. It came out August 1st. Oh, did it? Okay. It came out for about two weeks. Yeah. Oh, Um, okay. I thought we had to wait. Okay. Oh, no, no. There is no waiting. We like instant gratification here. Right, um, right. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, this is the book that I wrote because I had moved out to this area to be with my father because he lived out here or he lives out here. And I was like, this place is beautiful. Oh, my gosh. I need a right? murder here. <laughs> my first twisted reaction. Um and I know your readers know this, your listeners know this, but Sedona is probably one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Like, Sedona sure. in northern Arizona in general, it's just unlike anything you've ever seen. Um, and True. then, of course, my mind was like, oh, look, desert, lots of places to put bodies. This is fabulous. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, what, that's how Kismet came to be. And it's a story of a woman, um, a Pakistani-American woman who grew up in Queens, under the thumb of an aunt who was just terrible. And she's trying to become empowered. She's trying to find herself. She's basically a doormat. 
And she meets this woman named Marley Dewhurst, and Marley's a bit of a socialite, comes from money, and Marley wants nothing else but to be the next Gwyneth Paltrow. You know, she wants to have her own group. She wants that fame that goes along with it. And Ronnie sort of gloms on to her, you know, because Marley shows her some kindness, and they decide to move to Arizona. And as they get here, they find bodies because somebody is murdering the scammers in town, the ones who are taking money from tourists and not actually healing them. Um, ah. The scammers are starting to, to show up in places, uh, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a thriller mystery as to who's the murderer, but it's also about um, a woman trying to, you know, find herself and figure out who she is. And there ah, are love it. in it. So just be prepared as ravens that, that literally will talk. So we have to yes. you know, enjoy that. I was going to ask you because I saw in many reviews that people were like, when do we get the Ravens book? So, so how did you come up with the idea of having fucking Ravens? Uh, well, you know, I, I was trying to figure out how to showcase or the, the, the wildness that's here, because that's the draw of coming up to this part of, of Arizona, right? It's the wildness, right. it's nature, it's seeing the red rocks, but it's also just being out in nature. And, you know, where I live, so I'm about 20 miles away on a mountain, and, you know, I don't see humans very often. It's really just either coyotes and javelinas, which are these wild pig things that you will only really see in Arizona. So if you come up here, be ready for some wild pig action. And <laughs> the raisins, the, the raisins are giant. Like, they're, they're bigger than my tiny little city dog, you know, that I, that I <laughs> moved out here. So one day I'm walking on my driveway, and I'm thinking, how am I supposed to – put them in the book. And then one of the ravens dropped a feather at my feet. And it was the most woo-woo Sedona moment. <laughs> you know, it was like, yes, oh, for sure. What fine. a sign. <laughs> yes. Right. And I mean, I still, I still have the feather because I'm like, oh, I'm holding on to this. And I, because I tend to take things very literally, I was like, let me put the ravens in as a character. So they sort of embody the natural world. You know, they're like a Greek chorus complaining about what humans are doing to the land because, you know, when you live out in nature, you get more cognizant of, you know, animal habitats being destroyed. And, you know, as more houses get built, there's less land for the animals to run around. So, you, you know, I really wanted them to tap into that a little bit. I love that you gave animals a voice. I feel like I had to. <laughs> well, the animals are outside. I think they'd get mad at me. <laughs> They sent you a feather so that you would get the point. They did. They were like, listen, <laughs> human, do it right. Do it right. So I hope, they, I now, hope they're from, happy with me. <laughs> right? Well, from your bio, it sounds like you must have been in New York writing for all of these places, right? So, I was. I was in New York for about 20 years. Um, wow. And I was deep in the fashion world. You know, I always wanted to write, but I wanted to go, you know, immigrant parents are like, if you're not going to be a doctor or a lawyer, at least make sure you have a job with whatever you study. Right. So I said, okay, let me go into journalism. <laughs> no, M no MFAs for me. I'll just go to journalism and, you know, let's see what happens. And I managed to get a job at Vogue right out of college. And this is like 1999, right? I was like, wearing combat boots and had spiked hair. I was the least Vogue person at Vogue. Uh, <laughs> it was almost like my finishing school because they taught me how to wear heels and do makeup and what have you. Um, and then, you know, in the, in the journalism industry, you tend to get pigeonholed, you know, so I couldn't get a job out of fashion, right? 
Um, and it's oh, not okay. that I didn't love fashion. It was, it was amazing. But, you know, there are people who, who are fashion historians who, who really, you know, live for fashion. And I wasn't one of those people. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it, liked the magazines, but that was kind of the extent. But um, right. so I kept staying in the fashion world. Just, you know, yep. And then it just, I, I started to be really unhappy doing it because, you know, just to be very frank, I was not the archetype for a fashion editor, right? Which is usually tall, willowy, right. rich, white. I was mm-hmm. short, I have, you know, curves, I'm brown, you know, I can't afford Manolo <laughs> Blahniks on my salary. <laughs> what? What? I really felt like a fish out of water, you know? And I, I think a lot of that comes into my work now because I like to showcase people like Ronnie who don't feel like they belong somewhere. Um, and then, you know, in, in like 2013 or so, the industry started to get weird. You know, like magazines are closing, websites are closing, there's just fewer jobs. Right. And I basically aged out. At 35, I couldn't, I was too senior to get a job. And oh, my gosh. I hadn't, <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect that. Uh, so I wrote a book, <laughs> Fashion Victim, where I basically murder a lot of people in the fashion industry. Very cathartic. <laughs> <laughs> and then I moved out to Arizona to be with my dad because he was by himself. And, you know, I was like, well, I don't have kids. Let's, let's go do this. And mm-hmm. I thought it would be like six months, and it's it's been six years. And you know, I love it out here. Wow, I absolutely love it. Yeah. Wow, I was going to ask you if you're going through culture shock not being in the big city, but it sounds like you you <laughs> adapted just great. I I, know, I was in New York, like on my launch, <laughs> and I'm just <laughs> not ready to be back in New York. It was exhausting, and I mean, I love New York, but it was a lot, you know, I it is a am lot. always very happy to come back to my hideout, you know, where right. it's quiet, and I don't have to wear heels ever, you know, I can live in my Birkenstocks, and it's great. <laughs> I love that, and I have to ask, because you brought up, you know, in the, in the book, you're in the wellness and the crystals, and for people who haven't been to Sedona, it is like the most woo-woo city ever, and you can walk in almost everywhere and get some sort of different psychic reading. You can get a, you yeah. know, acupressure. It's, it's really you can get amazing. anything. And, and the spas are fantastic. Um, and, I mean, the book really goes into – wellness as a capitalism moment, like you cannot buy your way into being well. Um, right. And it's more, you know, it's not, not and while it is set in Sedona, I feel like it could have been set in any other, like Tulum or Bali or any other, or even LA, you know, like just where the wellness world, mm-hmm. you know, gathers. Right. Um, and it's really going into that real true wellness does not come from buying things. You know, there's no, there's no shortcut. There's no crystal that's going to, you know, automatically make you, better and make you well and heal you you have to do the work Um, right so that's sort of what this book is is knocking as opposed to knocking you know actual healer so that that was one of the things I was you know sort of agonizing over because I'm a little woo-woo you know I love my astrology I love my tarot you know Mm -hmm. I love people who are witches I think that's cool great awesome do you um right so I wanted to go after in the book the people who are not really healers the ones who are only in it for the money or the fame Mm -hmm. um so I felt like that was an important distinction to make yeah for sure because there there are plenty of of 
spiritual healers out there, because I'm kind of woo-woo as well, yes. that I've met that are life changers. I mean, they really oh, can, sure. can help people. Oh, sure. But every one of them, though, will tell you the same thing you just said. I, I can't give you a magic pill or a magic crystal. You have to actually yes. sit down and do the work. But here's some steps you can yes. try, you know. And, and exactly. yeah, so there is a difference. Yeah, and I've met, um, and there are characters in the book who are real healers, and you start to follow their journey and, and how they are viewing the people who are, like like Marley, who really just wants to be the queen of Sedona, you know? And it's like, right. well, that's not, that's not the right way to do this. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of, in the book. And I think one of the things people might be surprised by is, um, because it's wellness, but I included people's reaction to the main character who's you know Pakistani American her background is Muslim and a lot of it came from real things that have been said to me not just in Sedona I mean this is stuff that's been said to me by wellness people in in New York or in LA you know Mm -hmm. it's not an Arizona focused bit of racism but there are a lot of microaggressions that will make me cringe and laugh because you know I like Mm -hmm. to make it funny Uh, (laughs) but you know it, it is really interesting to see people's responses to that because I try to always include things that have actually been said to me in my books, Oh my god. A lot of people if they're not used yes. to it. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And 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 you know, it's good to get a little uncomfortable sometimes because we can all live in our little bubble and not know yeah. that these things happen and it's better to know that they happen so that so that hopefully we can make the world better. Such a very, you know, wellness is a very white woman-driven industry. You know, mm-hmm. the ones making millions and millions, you know, at the top are, are white. But it's interesting how a lot of the practices are pulled from different cultures. But those cultures yes. aren't necessarily celebrated or held up in any way. So it was really diving mm-hmm. into that and the way people would fetishize uh, India and the subcontinent, but then the second they find out Ronnie is Pakistani, they would freak out, you know, and be like, oh, no, no, we can't tell people that, you know, so right. it was a little bit of fun for me to write. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that that's, that's cool that you put that in the book, because like I say, you know, people, we, we live in a bubble, and, you know, it's yeah. good to get that get that out there and get that other viewpoint. For sure, absolutely. So I wanted to ask you because I think a lot of both both of your books sounds like um, uh oh, are you still there? Okay, I hope she's gonna call right back because Blog Talk sometimes does things like that, but her call just dropped. So I will I will vamp a little bit here and see if we can get Amina back on here. But I wanted to point out that um, there are influencers, you know, and reality versus fiction, and it's very hard sometimes to tell the difference. And I'm hoping Amina comes back in here so that she can give her opinion. But in my opinion, <laughs> there she is. All right. The, the, down, the downside of Are you back? is that I'm back. Is that the okay. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yes, I was like, oh my God, what happened? So, guys, if you ever want to pack up all your things and leave the city and move to middle of nowhere, please understand that your Wi Fi is going to be terrible. 
and your phone is going to be awful. Like, I was not prepared for that. <laughs> yes, I was imagining you out in your driveway lion king in your phone. Come on. Yeah, just please. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I was in the middle of asking you about the difference between, um, you know, reality versus fiction with influencers because I I feel like there, you know, we live in an and it probably has always been this way. It just wasn't so in your face because we didn't have social media before. But the well, the you know social media makes people right? look perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's there, it was, for me, coming from the magazine and, and, you know, their website world, it was very much an interesting transition to seeing the rich celebrities looking perfect and photoshopped to everyday people who are now influencers looking that way. And mm-hmm. from my perspective, you know, obviously nothing is real, right? All these photos, nothing is real. Um, I right. think people who are who consume a lot of social media and influencers need to, first of all, don't compare your life to them because their lives are are just as crazy, and right. <laughs> right. they just have really good Photoshop skills, you know. Yes. Or it's sort of like when you see, you know, photos of the Red Rocks or you know even a Horseshoe Trail further away. Is these beautiful photos, but what you don't see is that 20 or 30 people behind that person lining up to take the same photo, right? Mm -hmm. So reality and what you're seeing online are very different things. And I think it's really important that people understand that distinction. For sure. And and I think about if you think about when you're a kid and you look at your parents and you think, oh, my gosh, they know everything. They're like a god. And then you turn 30 and you look at your parents and go, shoot, you didn't have a clue what you were doing. And they're like, "Nah, I was taking it. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of the same thing. That's always, people are like, what's your process? And I'm like, my process is winging it. Because there is no grand plan here. I really was just like, let me try writing a book and see what happens. (laughs) Well, I was going to ask you about, um, our our listeners are always really interested in a writer's journey. And it sounds like you always wanted to be a writer, but you sort of went into journalism. How different was it? You know, what was it like for you to decide, okay, I'm going to write a novel. Now what do I do with it? You know, I think that, the hardest part of making that switch was shutting off that voice in my head that said, oh, you're not a writer, writer. Like, you don't have an MFA. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think that voice stopped so many of us from chasing dreams and what have mm-hmm. you. And so in about 2013, 2014, I'd hit a, a rather low point. You know, I'd been laid off, and it had been a, a public layoff. So people had been, written, like, blog posts about me, and I was like, oh, my God, how do any of you know who I am? This is so creepy, right? And my Rude. mom passed away. And she was, like, the driving force for me being in fashion because she loved it. You know, it was, like, it was one of the one things I had done that she was very proud of. So I uh. had stayed in fashion, and then so I lost my cheerleader with my mom, and I lost my job, and then I was like, well, what – I going to do with myself. I literally wasn't leaving my apartment. You know, it was like I right. I needed something to hold on to. So I thought, you know what? I had an idea back, you know, ten years prior or whatever. That wouldn't it be funny to set a serial killer in the fashion world, and no one would believe that she's the killer because people think fashion girls are stupid. 
And obviously, <laughs> I think that's untrue. I think that they're not. But I was like, right. okay, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna take this chance. Whatever, whatever happens, at least I'll have tried. So I right. gave myself a year to just to sit down and try. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I had no outline. I was just like winging it. So I, what I would start doing is, you know, I was used to writing blog posts, you know, like 100, 200, 300 words. So I would start with that. And then I would add to it the next day. And then I would add to it some more until, like, I would actually get a, a chapter. Um, I definitely had to learn how to think longer term, to think about how to relate everything back towards the ending. Um, it was definitely a challenge, but I really do think that once you stop telling yourself, no, I can't do that, you can do anything. So True. it's really about changing your mindset. Yeah. So now I'm like, yeah. oh, I want to write this book and it's going to be weird. It's like, ah, I can do it. Let's try it. Let's have some fun. You know, I feel like <laughs> as, a, as adults, we're less likely to want to just try something, you know, because we're scared yeah. of failure and we're scared of people saying that. But you know what? Failing is not the worst thing in the world. Failing is where you learn who you are and you learn from it and you learn what you're capable of. And if somebody says, no, well, my first book, it took, I had uh, over two years of publishers saying, absolutely not. <laughs> no way. We're not <laughs> So I've had so many no's, I could probably wallpaper my house. And that's fine. You know what? It only takes one person saying yes to make it exactly. happen for you. So you exactly. just have to find that one yes. And that yes leads to yes. more yeses. And there might be some no's along the way after, but still, just get to that one person. So anyone who wants right. to write, just keep going. It, you know, keep going, keep working on making yourself so good that they can then see where you get. Definitely. And and I always used to tell myself when I was going through all the rejections, God, it was soul crushing sometimes. And but I had a sales and marketing background. And, and in sales, you're always telling yourself, thank God for the no, because now I'm one step closer to the yes. You know, get the no's out of my way so I can get to the yes. And, you know, just keep in mind you only need one yes. So get through the no's as fast as you can. Thanks for that no. Now I can move on, you know. And I think that the writing community is so supportive. That Even if you're being Mm -hmm. published from a very small indie publisher, people will help you. They will talk to you. They will retweet your book. They'll post it online. Like, there's such a supportive which is, by the way, was the exact opposite of the fashion world. Like, I was shocked at how supportive the writing, the writer in this people are. I was like, oh, my right. gosh, you want to help me for no reason? What's right. The <laughs> There's got to be a catch, right? No, you were yes. just so nice. It was like, wow, this is different. I like it. That is my favorite part of the writing world is that it is very supportive and and sometimes you can write a fan letter to an author that you love and they, you know, give you encouragement. It's just, it's not like any other industry out there. I would recommend always writing a fan letter to a writer you like because it is Mm -hmm. such a blessing to get those. Like I I will get one and I'm like, oh, thank you. (laughs) You Right? It's a very solo it's a very isolating mm-hmm. experience, right? You're in your room mm-hmm. or your office or wherever you write, and you're, you know, for like a year or two, you're just banging away at it. So it right. really meant a lot to me. Or, or I, I felt mm-hmm. seen in this book, and it's like, oh god, okay, yes, that's so cool. 
Yeah, and for readers out there who are listening, when you send a, a an email or a you know private message or whatever to an author that you love their book, you never know they could have gotten one of those horrible rejections that day, and your yeah. message can make all the difference <laughs> because sometimes we really need that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or yes. like there's the, yes. the counter side of that people love when you're on social media, people love to tag you in their reviews. And if it's a nice review, that's great. But what if it's somebody who the book didn't work for, which, you know, listen, your book is never going to work for everybody. There's always going to be right. people who don't get it. Um, and, right. and that's, you have to accept that. Right. Um, but when right. they tag you in a, in a not so yeah, nice review. Yeah, please don't tag the like, author. Oh, yeah. Please. Would you like, yeah, would you like to don't. just crush my heart? Here, let me take it out. <laughs> right. Please. Stomp on it. Thank you. <laughs> there is not enough chocolate when you guys tag us in bad reviews. Please don't do oh that. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, because, like, it's not like we can change the book. <laughs> right, right. It's too late. There's nothing we can do. Yeah. And it's also like what one person hates about a book, another person loves, you know? So you're just mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, write, write the book that makes you happy. Write the book that you're most right. proud of and don't worry about the rest. Because, you know, we're all going to have haters, but we're also going to have people who love it. And, and that's, that's your audience right there. Right. Before my first book came out, I can't remember which author it was, but it was some New York Times author who had posted a blog. And it has saved me my whole writing career because they posted this blog called My Husband Hates Chocolate. And she was talking about that there are actual people on the planet who hate the world's most perfect food. And she's like, I don't understand how anyone could hate chocolate, but he hates chocolate. And she compared that to books. And she said, you can write the very best book that you've ever written in your whole life. But if there are people who can hate chocolate, there are people who are going to hate your book. (laughs) And that is the truth. And that's so true. Yeah. So anyway, that has always carried me. I'm like, well, they probably hate chocolate. Yeah, I'm like people. I don't read reviews. I don't. I don't go on Goodreads. I don't because I feel like that's for readers. You know, I think writers mm-hmm. do not go look at your reviews. Let's stay away from that. Um, don't mm-hmm. look at your Amazon reviews. You know, just just let it wash off you. You know, like don't let it right. get to you. Don't read them. But sometimes the good ones are great. But also they can also make you have a bit of a well. I'm I'm amazing, aren't I? I'm gonna right. Nobody can edit me now, and it's like no. That's not your either. <laughs> you get that next edit letter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that like bubble doesn't last very long. Of what you did wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. The righteous yes, indignation yes. of obviously they were skimming. Um, <laughs> I give myself 24 hours of 24 hours of righteous oh, yeah. indignation when I get edits. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think I'm so used to being edited because of, you know, being in, in well, in journalism, world. yeah, um, yeah, that I don't take it to, I don't take it personally. Uh, but oh, sometimes well, when good. I find myself go, getting getting a little indignant, that's when I'm like, ah, let me take a step back and come back to this, you know? Yeah, um, come back later. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I try to get to a point where I'm, you know, where it's like it's not personal. This is about taking your work to the next level. So let let's get into that mindset and try not to, you know, make a voodoo doll of your editor because that's not going to help you. Right. <laughs> really <not>. No. <laughs> so, so speaking of what's next for you, what do you have coming next after this book? 
I am in edits for my third book, which will be, you know, so my first two books were, I think, were really funny. I think, you know, I'm, I like to humor in with graphic violence because otherwise <laughs> violence can be too much, you know. Like, the first book, it was, you know, she's murdering people wearing her Manolos and her Manolos get ruined. <laughs> and that's what she's worried about. And then <laughs> it was like, there's just some funny moments. This is going to feel it's a little bit of departure. It's, um, it's diving into the folklore of my family. Um, so my oh. father's family, um, they're Sufi, and they have, they grew up with a lot of jinn stories, you know, which mm-hmm. are like these, be- not demons, but they're, they're these beings that are a big part of the Islamic world. And it's about this woman who is so super assimilated that she doesn't believe in anything and doesn't believe in religion, and she's being haunted, but she doesn't believe it. And so you're going oh. through and all these things are happening to her. And at the same time, she's being stalked and people are attacking her. And, and she's just like, I'm losing my mind. So it's kind of like her journey as to what happens and works in all the weird stories my dad used to tell me as a kid. So it's been really fun to put that in there. Ah, I love that. That sounds fantastic. So if people want to get in touch with you after they read the book and, and keep track of you so they can get this new book, um, where can they find you online? Are you on social media? I'm, I'm on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, and it's Dramina, D-R-R-R-A-M-I-N-A. I tweet a lot about my dog. <laughs> get ready. Aww. I tweet about my dog. And uh, the coyotes outside because there's two coyotes who have just decided that this is where they live and that's you know this is fine this is their their land too um and, and we we kind of have a nice little relationship going you know they stay away from my dog but they let me know they're around it's nice um Aww. so i like to put a lot of wildlife up if i can um so it, it can get a little silly <laughs> Oh, that's okay. That's my favorite kind of social media. Well, thanks for being here. We'll have to have you back when the next book comes on. That sounds fascinating. Yes. I can't oh, my gosh. <laughs> I would love it. And now I need to go get some books about werewolves in Sedona because, hello, right? that is so up my alley. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Well, let me know what you think. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Absolutely. Thanks for Thank being so here. Much, Lisa. And Thank everybody, you. go grab Kismet. You will love it. Okay. See you later. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for joining us on Booklights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.